Before we consider today's scripture reading and today's message, I want to say a word of gratitude to all the people who make the Christmas season at First Church so incredibly wonderful. Thank you to all of our hospitality team. Thank you to the folks who are decorating the entire church. Thanks to our online folks who are helping us connect both in person here on Fifth Street, around the world live right now, and also catching up later on social media as well. So thankful that you're worshiping with us. Thank you, of course, to our wonderful team and the music ministry gifting us with some incredible gifts of music over the course of the holiday season. It wouldn't be the same without them. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. My name is Lance Marshall. I'm the senior pastor here at First United Methodist Church of Fort Worth. I want to bring up something you may not realize, uh, and that's the importance of the role that you can play in Christmas Eve worship services. So our church, like many churches, has a lot of folks come on Christmas Eve services, folks that might not have ever attended this church or even any church before in their entire life. And one thing you may not know is true, research shows that people tend to decide whether or not they're going to come back to a church before the sermon starts or before the music even starts. People will decide whether they're going to give this church another chance or whether they're even going to give Christianity another chance. They make that decision before the actual speaking at the service even begins to take place. They make that decision based on how they're greeted and made to feel when they park in the parking lot and walk into the church and they're a visitor or guest and they try to find a spot. And so when we invite you to be a part of the greeting and the hospitality and the usher team on Christmas Eve, we're not just asking you to help be a part of the work. We're asking you to help be a part of the mission and the outreach and the good news of Christ Jesus being spoken into the lives of people who have may never heard it before in their entire life. So by simply volunteering, by saying yes to the opportunity to serve at one of those services, you can be a part of someone deciding to say yes and give it another try and keep coming back. So I invite you to consider that it's a really important and easy way for you to make a big difference in the kingdom of God right here in this church and make your Christmas Eve that much more special. So it is the Christmas season, and there is a lot going on in my life. I know there's a lot going on in your life as well, and sometimes I've had Christmas seasons that were, you know, complicated or nuanced, or people were all spread out, or there were health issues, or just difficulties. That's happened in a lot of Christmases in my life, and if that's happening in this Christmas season for you, you're not alone. Know that you are certainly not left alone. It can feel easy to be left behind if you're going through a harder time during Christmas. You're certainly not alone. I do feel fortunate this year in that joy is a little bit closer to the surface than it's been in some years past. And it's been an easier season for me to get in the Christmas spirit. I'm feeling very Christmas spirity. My music playlist on my phone will tell you. I've been having a really easy time getting into the Christmas spirit. And one of my favorite things that happens almost every year during this time happened last night. You've heard me share sermons and speak in the past. You'll know I grew up close by in the suburbs, up close by the airport. And uh, we moved back home after going to college elsewhere and living elsewhere in the country. But a lot of our closest friends with whom we're still really close, they live all spread out. Most of them don't live around here, but their parents still do. And so they'll come home and visit their families, which means during the holidays we can schedule a group and we can all come together in our house and host and have just a get together of all these old friends from junior high and high school and college days. And it's just so good to be together. And that happened last night. Our house was full. It was so much fun. Uh, I can't tell you how much it means to me to get to be with those people again, though I do have to tell you, I mean, we're all the same age. We all graduated high school together, and yet I'm the only one who's balding, and I'm the only one who's gaining weight, and I feel really left behind by these guys. I thought we were going to do these together. I mean, 
one of my friends, literally last night, this is not a joke. One of them is a firefighter and a paramedic, so he's like buff by law. Like he he has to be in shape. One is an Ironman triathlete, and then the third has gotten really into jujitsu and does it five days a week. And I'm like, well, I like tacos, so. <laughs> And I have an expanding collection of hats, so good for you guys. But it's just so good to be with them, and we laugh so much. We laugh so much, and that's a hallmark of our friendship, and that's a hallmark of my family, really. Laughter is our love language. We love laughing more than anything else, and that's been the key to my wife and I's life together ever since we started dating when we were 16. It's all about making each other laugh. You know those nights where you're just both exhausted and you're on the couch and you're thinking like, what do you want to watch? And you're just flipping, I don't know, what do you want to watch? And no one wants to make a decision. You just want Netflix to shoot something into your eyeballs. Like, do you know those nights? It almost always lands on stand-up comedy for us. That's like, we love to laugh so much. You know, we are, my wife and I wrote our own wedding vows and I promised in my vows to make her laugh every single day for the rest of our lives. And I take it seriously. Every single day, I try to make sure I've made her laugh today. It's that important to us. It's that important to our whole family. You know, our kids, we try to teach our kids there's the right thing to do and there's the wrong thing to do, right? And that's the lesson we try to teach. But the lesson our kids have learned is there's the right thing to do and there's the wrong thing to do. And there's the third option, which is the wrong thing to do, but you're funny while you do it. <laughs> and they've realized that you can get a really long runway <laughs> if... If that's, we didn't mean to teach that lesson, but we did. I love it. I love to try to make people laugh. Uh, a couple years ago during um, the pandemic, I tried something that was like a bucket list thing I always wanted to try. I went over to a Dallas comedy club and I took a stand-up comedy writing and performing class. And it was so helpful for me. It was so helpful because it helped me realize there's a huge difference between church funny and actually funny. <laughs> See, that wouldn't have worked over there. Right? It was very helpful to realize that I need to stick with sermons. <laughs> I even don't mind being the butt of the joke, really, if I'm in on it. Like, I don't really mind jokes at my expense. Right? I'm okay with it. I'm okay, I'm okay with you know, being the butt of the joke. And um, the good news is the staff is also okay with me being the butt of the joke. <laughs> when Pastor Virginia was preaching for the first time, I said, just don't worry about it. Just make a joke at my expense. The congregation will love it. And she took to that like a duck to water. <laughs> and so did Pastor Brenda, her first time preaching. Pastor Samuel is preaching for the first time at our church on January 22nd. And I can see him taking notes in the back. He's like, I'm going to roast this guy. This is going to go great. I'm emphasizing all this stuff about laughter and sharing and the importance of it and even being, you know, kind of in on the joke or being at your expense because there is, in my mind, a laser red line between all of that, the laughing and the joy and the fun and, and the teasing and those kind of things. And there's this laser red line and on the other side of that is being mocked. It's being mocked. It's being laughed at. And as much as like, I love laughter so much. I love comedy so much. I love that being the dynamic of relationships in my life so much. There's just this razor laser red line between that and being mocked, being made fun of being the butt of the joke that you're not in on and how much that hurts and how painful that is. And some people have been the victim of long-time traumatic bullying. They've had that experience over and over again in their life and it's scarring and it takes incredible work to receive healing from. I mean, that feeling, people are mocking you. I remember one time 
I had a group of friends, an uh, entirely separate group of friends, with whom I was really close for a couple years in college, kind of those early 20s years. And uh, I made mistakes in that relationship. And I ended up burning the bridge with all those friends. It's important for you to understand, it was my fault. I was, uh, I was being egocentric and I was being narcissistic and immature, right? I made mistakes and uh, that ended the, the friendship with all those folks and we went our separate, they stayed friends, I left. And uh, remember a year or so later, I ended up, you know, the kind of early days of social media, kind of seeing that group of friends talking to each other. And what had happened, I realized after those bridges had been burned, remember, I burned them. They weren't mad at me, right? They weren't resentful toward me or any of those things. They were making fun of me. They were teasing me, right? I was, that was an inside joke now. It's important to remember that, like, I brought this on, right? I was being bullied, and this was my fault. And if they had been mad at me, fine. If they had been disappointed in me, fine. Or if they had disagreed with me, fine. But that feeling, I mean, I would do anything to avoid it. How much does that hurt, right? The idea that people are mocking you behind your back, making fun of you. What would you do to avoid it? How much would it influence your decision to do or not doing something if you knew that that was the outcome? That's what I want us to think about when we reflect on today's scripture reading. We're using these angels of Christmas, these angelic visitations as a lens to look at the scripture readings that lead up to the Advent and Christmas season. And the angelic visitations I've shared the last few weeks in the course of this series always indicate two important things, right? Whether they're happening in scripture or in the lives of the people around you. Angelic visitations, one, reveal there's more going on in God's creation than just what you can see or touch or hear or know at any different moment. There's more going on, right? The angelic visitation is a breaking through, just revealing there is more going on here than you realize. The second thing an angelic visitation does is give a message. Angelos in Greek, from which the words angel comes, means messenger, right? It's God giving a message. God has a message to be delivered that is so key and is so important and is so pivotal, not just for the individuals in this story, but for people everywhere to hear that it cannot be missed or mistaken. Hence, the angelic visitation. That's what's always happening every time we have an account of an angel at work in scripture in the lives of the people that we've come to know. This scripture reading is a follow-up to what's happened in the week previous. In the week previous, Mary, this girl who we would call today a junior high-aged girl, who's had plans, who's had thoughts of how it was that her life would go, but who's probably, I would imagine, self-conscious and unsure of herself in this very vulnerable point of life, realizes this is what's going to happen to her and comes to find out all of the difficulties that that will entail and all the challenges that will be the result of it. And her, re her response is, here I am, God barely understanding your plan, not at all understanding your purposes, unsure of why it's me that would have you be and do this, here I am. And she's engaged, she's betrothed. They have a two-step wedding process. In their culture, you know, you don't go to college and then graduate and date and meet some other people and then get married for love in your late 20s or 30s. That's not how it works in their culture. They're arranged marriages between families and She's probably what we would now consider teenage. Joseph's probably older, late teens, early 20s, and they've been committed to each other legally at this point. They still live individually. They don't live together. They've never had any private time together ever, yet this betrothal is actually a legal engagement. They have responsibilities and rights to each other at this point, and she's pregnant, and she tells Joseph, 
And Joseph's response is, I cannot be a part of this. I cannot be a part of this. They live in an honor and shame society. And in his society, it's very clear what happens to a woman in her situation. And the best case scenario is she doesn't get married. The worst case scenario is she's publicly executed. To be a part of it, to stay related to her would bring shame, not on him individually, but on his entire family. And everything that he's been raised to do since he was a child is understand, do not ever bring shame on your family. And it's in his rights, in fact, many people would consider it his legal obligation to have her humiliated publicly. That's what a righteous person would do. Joseph puts aside the letter of the law for the spirit of grace and instead just desires to do whatever he can to step away. I can't be a part of it. I don't want her to suffer, but I just can't be involved in this. And he has an angelic visitation. An inbursting reveals there's more going on here than what you realize. And second, there's a message for you. And there's a message for others. And there's a message that everyone everywhere needs to hear and understand. And that she has not just come to be with child through some transgression or through some faulty decision, right? Or this spur of the moment thing. No, God has done a new work of creation in her and through her. God is at work and God has a purpose. This is not just a child. This is the child, Emmanuel, God with us, the answer to prayer, the fulfillment of prophecy. And you will name him Jesus the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew Yeshua, which means God saves because God will save through this child, everyone, everywhere. That is what is happening. So do not be afraid because you're afraid. So do not be afraid to bring her into your home. And do not be afraid to take this son and you name him, which means you claim him, which means you raise him, which means you give him the fullness of the identity of your son and you raise him as your son because this is what God has for you to do. And he says yes, and he does it. Hear this, knowing that every day for the rest of his life, People will mock him behind his back. Did you ever think about that? That for Mary and Joseph, every day for the rest of their life, people would mock them behind their back because their neighbors can count to nine and they come to realize that this baby was not born nine months after their wedding. And it doesn't matter what they're told or the rumors that they hear or anything, they think they know what happened and they will mock Mary and Joseph behind their backs for the rest of their lives. And Joseph knows it. And Mary knows it too. And the people who are mocking them are small-minded and ignorant and wrong. And they're still doing it. And Joseph and Mary take that on and receive that and more because of what God has called them to do. They are our example today for saying yes to God's plan and God's path and God's purposes, even at great personal cost for things like reputation or pride or standing in an honor-shame society. Talked last week, just very briefly, about this cultural idea that we have that your greatest path to happiness and perfect 
purpose. Comes in searching your own life and discovering your own truth and then living into that with everything you have regardless of the cost to anyone else because if you're just pursuing your own truth, then you'll be happy, then you'll be fulfilled, then you'll receive the world that God has for you. And that's not the truth. True happiness, true purpose, true fulfillment, true righteousness, true living into the fullness of what life has to offer for you comes in discovering God's truth and God's role and God's purpose and God's path for you. That's the truth. And everyone you've ever seen who actually has that has discovered that for themselves. I told you last week that the way that this comes comes through the life of worship and prayer, of learning, of serving, of giving, of playing, of enjoying the fullness and the grace that God has to offer you. That's how it is that you discover your plan, your purpose, your role, your path. That's how you figure out how you fit in. And one thing I wanted to leave with you today are some hallmarks of how you can figure out, is this coming from God or is this just coming from me? Is this the fulfillment of God's plans and purposes? Am I hearing from God or I'm just trying to fulfill my own self and my desires and putting a Jesus wrapper on it. How can you tell? What are some hallmarks? And this isn't coming exactly from Scripture, but this is a hallmark I see over and over again in scriptural stories and in the lives of our congregation. Following God's path, pursuing what God has for you to do, uniquely you to do and be in the world, is more often than not humbling requires humility from you or actively humbles you. And we misuse the idea of humbling in our culture a lot, right? Because we'll take somebody who's just achieved some fantastic athletic achievement and we will award them the greatest trophy that they have to receive in that sport and we'll put a microphone in their face right in the moment of their glory and that person will sit and go, wow, I mean, this is humbling. <laughs> no. No, humbling is putting everything you have into it and not making the team. That's humbling. Or someone will receive some amazing promotion with some incredible package and a huge amount of prestige and authority over an entire group, the culmination of a career, and, in, and accepting it and receiving that, they'll say, oh, this is, this is just so humbling. No, humbling is spending an entire working life in an organization, giving it everything you have and being passed over. That's humbling. And more often than not, we see in the course of Zechariah, and in Mary, and in Joseph, and in the apostles, and in the saints who come before us, and in the saints who surround you in this room today, that following God's path and purposes is not the road to glory and prestige and recognition in this place. Rather, it's a path toward humility <laughs> and to extension beyond your ability to say and do and provide for yourself and to realize how deeply it is that you rely on God just for one more day. It is humbling. Two, it involves sacrifice. It involves real sacrifice. Maybe it's of prestige. Maybe it's of resources. Maybe it's of opportunities. Maybe it's of comfort. But following God's plan and God's purpose, more often than not, involves real and repeated sacrifice. And when I say repeated, I mean like every single day. Because saying yes to following God and raising this child was not a once-in-a-lifetime commitment for Joseph. It was a daily reaffirmation, a daily recommitment and following God's plans, purposes, and following God's path, and receiving what it is that God has for uniquely you to do in the world, and walking in it every single day is not a one-and-done thing. It is a daily recommitment and reaffirmation to put the work and the will and the glory of God before everything else in this life because he's worth it.
That's what Joseph shows us. That's what Mary shows us. That's what Zechariah shows us. That's where Christ calls us, and that's where we go as a church and as a people and as Christians into that work. So as you pray, and as you worship, and as you open your hearts and your minds to receive what God has for you today, may you be open to humility. May you be open to sacrifice and may be open to the daily recommitment of everything you have to the way of your Lord because I promise you that, that is where your real hope and your real peace and your real glory awaits. Let's pray. Jesus, let us follow the example of your earthly father, Joseph. Let us open our hearts and our minds to receive a word from the Lord that calls us out of comfort, that calls us out of stability, that calls us out of the path that we prefer for ourselves and instead aligns us with whatever it is that God would have us do or be. Jesus, help us to take our lives and use them for the maximum impact on your kingdom and your people. Guide us, keep us, shape us in your image. And it's in trust that together we pray the words that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.